everybody, this is Townsend. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and mental health advocate, and I started the You're Not Alone project and podcast to help educate, spread awareness, and simply help you feel a little less alone, no matter what you're going through. Thank you so much for tuning in to Season 2 of You're Not Alone with Townsend. Be sure to click the follow button and share these stories. You can also watch the interviews on our YouTube under Townsend T Music. You can also keep up with the journey if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Townsend T Music. Every like, follow, and share helps us continue to change lives. What is up, everybody? This is Townsend. I'm so excited about this episode. I think I say that every episode, but truly, the guests that I have on here are so good, so inspirational, and it just means so much that they've taken time out of their day to share their story with us. And this is one of my buddies. So Blake and I have known each other for quite a while. He got to sharing his story with me a couple of years ago, and I remember saying, I'm going to start a podcast, and I want you to be on it. And he's like, done, deal. And here we are, like a year or two later, finally at this point, and I, it's just so cool seeing both of us grow and like become successful at our passions. And it's just really neat. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Townsend. I, yeah. I am so excited for your podcast and it's been awesome to see you grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is so mutual, man. So this guy is just a killer musician, an awesome friend. Uh, it's just been really cool. So we're just gonna go ahead and hop into it. So who the heck is Blake? I know a lot of people are like, I know that name or that I know that background. How would they know you? Well, my name is Blake Goodwin. I live here in Conway, Arkansas. I own Fret Monkey Records, uh, which is a recording studio here based in Conway. I am a guitar player that is uh, primarily known for fingerstyle guitar. Uh, I do a lot of traveling and videos and things like that for fingerstyle uh, acoustic guitar, as well as I'm a producer here at the studio. Yeah, he makes some killer tracks. He's actually done some of my tracks. If you like music, check out Townsend on uh, any streaming services or Blake as well. He's actually done a couple of my records. One of them was, um, gosh, I can't even think of the song, the name of the song that you did for me. Oh, I can't remember either. <laughs> I know, but it's on there. Well, we've and done it's some amazing. covers. We've done a yeah. couple things. Yeah, yeah it was covers, sure. and then we've done acoustic covers of my song. It's just really yeah. cool. But this guy's a stellar guitar player and such a cool just a, a cool story, but most people know you as the successful musician or the successful producer, but it hasn't always been that way. Nope. Like I said, a couple of years ago, you told me about your journey through addiction, and that's something that doing this podcast seems to be incredibly relevant. It seems like a lot of people deal with addiction. So yeah, we'll I just... believe that uh, musicians uh, primarily are one of the biggest ones that can be led into addiction just because of like the scene and crowd or at least growing up in my my time you know definitely for sure yeah for sure I feel like you can you can blame it on a bunch of different things but one the gigs you're out late two you've always yep. got to be on your best game you got to fake a smile you've got to have your burdens plus everybody else's but like everybody wants to tell you their stories you got to have a great time and every night's got to be the best of the night so I feel like a lot of people I know take uppers to make them that hyped and that good and then you get addicted and it just goes on yeah, and on and on that and a constant playing in uh like a bar scene you know i have several family members i've had deal with this issue as long as as, uh, as well as friends that are constantly gigging you know three or four nights a, uh, a week right and they're constantly in a bar they're with their friends and it becomes this natural uh reoccurring thing every week where you know you're getting free drinks you know you're kind of in a social pressure you know type of deal 
And next thing you know, you know, it, it could lead to many other things. It might just be alcohol could, you know, obviously tilt to something else, but it, it, it is something that I've seen way more often than I wish I had, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We went two different routes. I've heard of both of them. Like the one, yeah. like said, so just, you've got to keep your attitude on point and that gets to be a lot, a big burden to carry. So I've heard yep. of people doing the drug part of addiction and then the drinking, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Like you said, I literally play in a bar. I bet four nights a week. So yeah. if you don't have like some crazy dedication and strong will, it's easy to give into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you, let's go ahead and hop into your story. So let's tell people kind of when addiction started out for you, like what, what that looked like. I want to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to these conversations. It truly means so much. We've changed so many lives for the better, and we want to continue doing so throughout 2023. This project is made possible by sponsors and patrons. So if you'd like to help keep the You're Not Alone project going and hearing these amazing stories, we would love for you to join the family at patreon.com slash Townsend Music. Just for signing up, you'll get free merch, discounts, and behind-the-scenes patron-only footage not only of my music, but of each episode. That's right. So each guest on every episode answers a few more questions that only patrons will be able to watch and listen to. So head on over to patreon.com slash Townsend Team Music, and let's continue changing lives. So addiction and alcoholism, all of that started really from a really early age, and that's because of just a certain type of childhood events uh, that happened, which led me moving to Conway, uh, where I currently live. And I, when I was growing up, up until age 11, I had a huge family with extended family, cousins, all that type of deal. That being said, I was very well loved as a kid, right? Obviously, there were some issues that happened um, with like, uh, you know, dad going through a divorce, my mom going through a divorce uh, with their uh, current husband and wife. Which led me to moving here where I felt very isolated. I didn't know anybody uh, right off the bat. Like, uh, I, as I reflect back, I didn't realize I was being like kind of bullied when I first got here. But that actually kind of happened to me and I felt very isolated. My mom went to school uh, on top of working a full time job. And my stepdad at the time worked, uh, you know, about 13, 14 hour shifts every every day. So I just didn't really have anybody being 12 years old, just really in like reflecting that I just lost everything. And I think that really internalized, I felt like I wasn't good enough and I just didn't have the tension. I, I felt like probably wanted at that age. Sure. So meeting my first few friends in high school, we all kind of, we all met actually through church hilariously enough that we were all really close. We played in a worship band and then one friend just snowballed and the rest of us followed because we're all really close and next thing I know, we're all, you know, at that age, 13, 14, started doing marijuana, you know, and that was like something that I just instantly fell like in love with because I was like, I didn't have to feel like all like I didn't have to feel like me. I didn't have to have this anxiety. I didn't have to have this worry. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I feel completely different. I don't, you know, have all this scared or fear that I felt like I was just growing up with. From there, you know, with the same crowd and that just kind of escalating with uh, more and more friends that were doing those type of uh, that stuff in the circle, I finally got introduced uh, 
to Adderall, um, which was a huge one for me. That drug and myself really clicked. <laughs> Let's just say that yeah. along with pain pills. Um, those things became really prevalent in my life. At the same time, I really focused on guitar and I loved the way uh, creating music while under the influence uh, affected me. I just felt like it was a, a another step of the high on top of drugs. It was like I was able to do these things that I felt like I could not do sober. So when I got into the band scene around like 16, 17, I started a band, which was actually really successful for that age. I We were getting picked up from one of our radio stations here. We, had, we were in the recording studio, recording an album, that type of things. And at the same time, my drug addiction started getting harder and harder. Uh, the guys I started, I was at 17, I was playing in a band with guys that were 23, 25, and like 26, you know. Um, so I was definitely easily influenced by people that I thought were wiser than me. Yeah, um, yeah had more cool. experience, they've been, been, been in more bands, you know. Yeah. Um, that really just changed my whole world. And the drugs kept getting harder um, to, you know, worse pain pills and things like that. So the next thing I know, you know, in my journey, and we'll just kind of keep it in the music area at this point, is that the band started deteriorating because we were all broke because we were just living <laughs> off of all the money we would make is trying to blow it on drugs, right? Wow. And next thing we know, we're selling our gear, we're fighting with each other, we're stealing from each other, all these horrible things, and the band came to an end, obviously. And I didn't know what to do with my life uh, at that point. So for the next few years, I took every job I can possibly find um, because I didn't know, I didn't ever believe that I could be any, anything further than like what I thought I could be. And that was like, Oh, I was going to be a Terminix man. I got my CDL, started driving trucks. I went and worked at a prison. I've worked every pizza place in the world, you know, and I felt so depressed because I was like, I'm not doing what I love is music, but I just kept re-engaging back into drugs, you know, and things like that. And so I just had this like endless cycle of just feeding, feeding myself that I wasn't good enough that, you know, everybody's already disappointed at, um, disappointed in me from you know being an addict alcoholic i can't can't keep a job more than like six months and then i just like felt a drug test or whatever would happen and i mean i was just in complete like disarray and just could not keep my life together yeah man yeah. that's a lot goodness gracious it ended up like you were talking about the drugs just got harder and harder you know something i have found i've interviewed a lot of people again it seems to be incredibly prevalent i don't know if it's more around more or we just talk about it more I haven't decided which one I don't really know um, but it's come to this conclusion and I'm really curious your input so half of the people have told me that you cannot force anyone to do rehab you can't do it and then half of the people have said because someone forced me to do rehab I got better hmm. yeah That's an so kind of wild right I have a, I have a really good perspective on people trying to get sober and yeah. getting sober. Right, um, mine's a little bit more brutal. Um, yeah, give it to because, us because you know I've been into three facilities. And I've known people that have been to eighteen, twenty facilities. Absolutely. Right, you know what I learned from my own personal experience in getting sober was I exhausted all options. Somebody told me that like, hey, 
you know, you can't, you know, oh, I'm I'm free from drugs, but I can still drink alcohol, you know, that type of deal, right? Like I'd always try to like uh think that I could always get away with something, or maybe I can just smoke weed or or whatever and I won't do pills. And I exhausted every single one of those options that kept letting me back into relapse, which made my relapse even worse because I already hated myself so much that I just let everybody down, including myself. Um and so what I learned out of all of it was are you ready to be sober? Like that was the number one thing is like, are you done? Cause you like, somebody told me this cause like, Oh, you know, you hit rock bottom. No, you haven't. You yeah. can still keep digging. God. You can still keep digging. Cause you can either end up dead in jail or an institution. Yeah. One of three places that's going to happen to you. And if you, the worst thing that can actually happen to you is if you just live, because yeah. then you're just going to cause chaos on every single person, including yourself. And when somebody really put that into perspective to me, it really made me realize that, you know, oh my gosh, like, this is it. This is all I have, you know? And even when I was told that was still not enough, it was not enough for me to stay sober. The last time I went to treatment, I mean, I was just like, you know, tell between my legs. And the lady said, you ain't getting another chance. You're going to, you're going to have to go to a meeting. You're going to, you know, you're going to be on the streets. Like wow. you, you understand you're spoiled for getting another chance at rehab. And that really like, I was like, Oh God, like this is it. And they're like, your insurance runs out next year. You're not going to be able to come back. And I was so tired and so exhausted from living that life that I just said, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And that's exactly what they look for in a treatment or a program. They ask you, are you willing to go all the way and follow every single step that we recommend? And I was at the time. And it was hard, hard work. So when I talk to people and people ask me, oh, I want to get sober, things like that. I'm like, I want you to get sober too. But are you really ready? Are you are you able to cut this relationship? Are you ready to take that step to get in a program and actually work your, and do the work, you know? And I mean, I, I think that's just the most brutal way of, of, of saying it because I have so many friends that are some of them are still sober and they did the right thing by doing the right steps. And then I have some that are dead and some that are relapsed, yeah. Yeah. you know, and sadly, yeah, yeah, sadly, you know, uh, and and that's just the, it's the brutal reality that yeah. uh, that is an addiction and alcoholism. Man, you got some brutal friends, but I kind of like it. That lady. <laughs> <laughs> she said, this is it. This is it. Spilled oh, I'll never forget the way she said that. I mean, it was just still like burned to like image yeah. into my brain and my She's... mom's shaking her head like, yeah, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I love she made such a good point. Like you're spoiled for being yeah. here again. Like that yeah. rang out to me because it's like, how spoiled are we? Like you had a chance not only to go once, not only to go twice, but three times. Some three people, times. like you said, I know people that have been like eight times yep. and you just don't realize how blessed you truly are. So has addiction always played a role in your life? Like, has that always been a personality trait of yours? Did it run? Yeah, it, it, stems, it, it stems into other things uh, in my mm -hmm. life. Like, you know, coming back to like asking who Blake is, right? So I told you what I do. And I, I told you, you know, uh, trying to sum up who I am, but who I really am is a person of adventure, passionate, uh, the things that are, that make me who I am as a dreamer, right? I'm always chasing that next step and elevating my life. And that is such a big part of me. I feel that area of my life 
with drugs and alcohol. Sure. My family members also have the same intensity as myself, right? And that shows in other areas where they've there had, you know, had addictions to nicotine, you know, or some of them alcohol, you know, but they might be brilliant people. But those aspects I've seen shown up in their life as well as mine. So now that I'm sober, uh, you know, music, business, those type of things, um, you know, sometimes it's even getting new guitar gear or, or synthesizers. We're you know, I get addicted really addicted. fast. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I, and I have to like, hey, calm down, you know, because I I chase that that what makes me feel good, right? Sure. And and I've learned a lot of steps to to calm that side of you know myself down because not only did that apply into my my drug and alcoholism addiction but it has to apply into all aspects of my life which is a balance right oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah your mom is an incredibly intense person but she's like the smartest (laughs) person i know she's always got 77 projects going at one time and i'm like god woman i don't know how you do it um yeah so what were okay what was the moment, and I guess you might have just said it, but the moment that you accepted that you were ready and you needed to make that change, was it when you went and that woman was like, boy, you spoiled? Or was yeah, there a that, moment between that, you? That was, I mean, there was accumulation of all the things. I, yeah. I had went to the same rehab facility. And yeah. at this point, at the third time, they all knew me. Yeah, I've they're had, like, welcome back. I had a majority of these counselors. And this place um, is brutal. Like when I say this is not like any rehab I've ever seen. I mean, it is, they'll put you in a circle in front of 90 people, call you out on everything that you've ever did. And people are going to be honest and tear you down so they can build you back up. Right. That just gives you a context of what it is, which is exactly what I needed. And a lot of those people needed. And at the first, it seemed scary. Um, Yeah. That that moment really came down. I would cry. Oh God, everybody I would cried. My eyes. You know, I'm sitting there freaking out. Don't call me. You know, please don't, like, please but don't call me. <laughs> it was such a, a real thing because all these lessons that these counsel, all these counselors have either gone through that same facility or have been sober, you know, for years and gotten their counseling license. And a lot of them had a brutal perspectives because they have gone through it themselves, which you respected them because you, hey, you can relate with them. They've done, they've gone through it. And there was a just accumulation of things they had either said to me that I thought was just like, oh man, like that is so true in my life. And at the end of it all, I'd exhausted everything. Like I'd done everything they told me not to do, like date a relationship in the first year or date someone in the first year of being sober, you know, at least can lead to a relapse or if you try to go drink or, you know, whatever, being dishonest, those type of things. I did every one of them. And at the very end, I was tired. I was, I mean, is is not no pretty, it's not a, a wow story. Cause I mean, you would think that, hey, I've been hospitalized, almost dead would be the the story that, you know, hey, um, that's what's gonna get you sober. No, I went back and relapsed, you know. Uh it was just like I was done. I mean, I'll never forget. Like I was just uh, my family were gone uh outside of Christmas and I was supposed to go down to my dad's to Texas and go see him. And I was so high from drugs for like three days straight. And then I slept through Christmas and I woke wow. up and I was all by myself. And, oh. and I remember how horrible I felt because everybody worried about me, didn't know where I was. Wow. And I, I had ran into all money. I ran into every single thing. I had a friend came in while that whole thing and stole everything out of the house. Oh, and I was just like, this, this is it. 
because I already felt guilty for relapsing the last time. And the last time I, I did pretty well. I had like seven months of recovery at the time. And, uh, and I did really well. And so when I relapsed, it was just like so heartbreaking. And I was just like, I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to disappoint my family. And my family were like, Hey, we're either you go back to rehab or go, you know? And I, and the option that I even got to go back was amazing. But when I went in there, I did everything they told me to do. I worked at a lumber yard that they owned, worked six days a week, went to every AA meeting, got a sponsor. And I just listened to what they said. And, you know, nobody talked to me <laughs> the yeah. entire year. You know, nobody wanted wow. anything to do with me except for, you know, that program. And it's exactly what I needed at the time wow. to grow up and be a big boy. Grow up, be a big, put your birthdays on. That's right. Man, I can only imagine your mental health. I think you made a really good point talking about in those moments. And I don't think, I don't think people give that enough credit. So in those moments where, I mean, you're doing good and you get all those relationships back and then you relapse. Mm. I mean, your mental health in that moment of you're disappointed in yourself. You've let everybody else down, but uh, you've also let yourself awful. down. Uh, the second relapse I had uh, coming out of the facility, I was actually doing great. I, wor I was working this job and uh, it was the first time I've ever had a job come out. And like uh, when I was leaving the job, the owner was in tears and he wow. was like, you've been one of the best workers, right? Wow. I had relapsed because I had an ear infection oh. and um, I ended up, I was just hurting so bad that when they wrote me the script, I just took the hydrocodones yeah. and I felt so guilty about oh, it. And I, no. I hid it from my uh, sober house and went to a bar and just started drinking oh, and no. I cried, I just cried and drove all the way back to Arkansas and just started my, you know, reign of hell yeah. <laughs> you wow. know, on, on my family's life again. And it was a very short relapse, which like I said, went into the Christmas thing. And yeah. finally when I was just like, man, I'm done. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Stories... It's mentally, mental health. Woo. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine like their time, their days where everyone has those days where you're just like, Oh, it's too much. I'm a disappointment. Yeah. Like maybe I could be better, but imagining that and then you put like a substance abuse on top of that which really messes with your mind and can make it exaggerated that just such a dark place and I feel like yep. people don't really take that into consideration oh yeah so looking back on that today the Blake you are now like what does self-care look like you for you now what does mental health care look like for you now yeah so self-care and mental and 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 mental health and all that is super important to me, which a lot of my foundation is still based in the 12 step program of AA. Um, a lot of those principles to me um, are just guides to my life, which is like taking a daily inventory of my life. Yeah. I feel like it's still one that I'm really just really on because how I talk and treat people, um, you know, sometimes I have to reflect like, how am I feeling, you know? Um, and if somebody got upset or maybe I said something, you know, uh, it's just being completely honest with myself and honest with like, you know, communicating with others uh, to really just take a, a like a moral inventory of myself and do the right thing by, you know, sweeping my side of the street clean, you know, just, do, do, you know, whether it's making amends or doing something for somebody, you know, or for myself, you know, um, those type of things. I tend if as long as I keep those daily things up, like my life feels pretty good. Like I feel, yeah. you know, I'm constantly just trying to better improve my life uh, as, as well as like creating healthy boundaries, healthy space, things like that. Um, I feel like is another important thing because, you know, 
what everybody gets so caught up is like in the world of addiction of trying to get sober, but nobody really ever talks about what it's like to be sober. And once all those masks are completely just taken away from you, um, this is the hardest part. I feel like is that, Hey, like I'm having to deal with me and I didn't like me. And that's the reason why I started doing these substance. So doing these steps that I talked about, um, as like going to therapy, making amends, those type of things are things that help you improve. And the more you live that life, uh, you know, the more your brain's rewired to think that way. And I just celebrated nine years of recovery. And I can honestly say when I talk about, you know, that past of mine, it doesn't even feel like the same person. Like it just doesn't seem real that that all happened because my life is so radically changed. Yeah. And through my my sobriety, I have gone through so much just turmoil as well. I've had best friends die. I've been I've gone through a divorce. You know things like that. You know things that could easily lead back to a relapse or just a a really horrible way of 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 life. You know, in a mental way or uh, emotional way. But I have the right steps, and I've taken the precautions to set myself up uh, by doing daily things and having communications and 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 being willing to go back to therapy or go to an AA meeting if I need to. You know, not necessarily because I, I think about like relapsing, but just maybe I just need the support and be around somebody to hear some wisdom. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. I was gonna ask, do you still go to meet? It? Is that something like even nine years out? Do you stop by meetings still? I, every once in a while, I like to go. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's good to, um, you know, to ground yourself. Like it's not, you know, AA like was has always been a huge part of my life, and and I'm so grateful for it. Right, um, in my life, I feel like you know, if there's an opportunity that I can help and give back, I will gladly go to an AA meeting. Um, yeah. Or if I just, you know, I need to be surround myself. But my life is not always involved in AA, but I strongly, strongly am like the biggest believer in that program. Um, I just have such a great support system, um, plus my own beliefs and, you know, with with God and my higher power, all those type of things. You know, I've surrounded myself with a lot of positivity. And when things get out of handle, I know where to go. I have an AA meeting. I have, you know, friends that are, are really good for me, those type of things, you know. So, yeah. you know, I always highly suggest if you're going to recovery, you know, like you got to do it with, you know, a program, you know, and whatever that might be, it could be NAAA. Um, you need that accountability from that group to call you on your BS as yeah. such a huge thing. As scary as it is. It is. I'm like, I'm so shy. And like, I feel like if I was in a room and people call me out about, okay, I'm done. I'll never do it again. Oh my God. I don't even know what I did, but I'm done. You know what? That little fear though. I mean, it really can change you because you'll be so scared. But then what happens from that is you'll react in a different way or something else will come up that you might have never noticed and somebody calls you on something and it doesn't mean that they're being hostile or mean or anything like that, but at least points out something to you and you're aware of it from that moment and how you deal with it. You know, I I have to verbalize for people that don't know you. It's crazy to me, like meeting you a handful of years ago and knowing that that's your past is a wild to me because you're like this big old sensitive teddy bear and like we always have great talks I feel like we check on each other and you're just always there and you're dependable and so to think about 
that not always being you is really wild to me. So I'm kind of like you. Like, I can't even imagine that Blake from back then. It's weird. It really yeah. is. You're you like know? one of the best guys I know. So to think oh, about you. Yeah, to think about you doing that, I'm like, You're no. not too shabby yourself, Towson? No, no, thank, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Not Blake. No, not Blake. No way. Not he would me. never. Yeah. So what? Okay. Like I said, this is. I would say the number one topic that I get people reaching out about. So what advice would you have for those people that are in the process of struggling with addiction? Like they're in that moment of, dude, I don't know where to go, what to do. What advice would you have? Well, the advice I would, I would give is similar to sum up everything I have, I have said, and that is being willing and able to follow, uh, whether it's a sponsor, a program, rehab center, um, any of those things and take that step to make that action a reality for your life. Yeah. And that is to follow every single thing that they tell you without a doubt, whether it's hard because it's going to be hard, you know, uh, it's hard, but it beats the alternative of death, prison and mental institutions. Man, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What advice do you have for loved ones of people struggling? Like this is, this is one I can't imagine. So like your mom, this is the one I I want to give. And it's because of the perspective of uh, my family, right. Who's had to deal with it for years. The number one thing I can advise a loved one that somebody has of son, daughter, whatever, family member in addiction, stop enabling them. The yeah. number one thing I will beg you and plead for you is to not enable them. You need to be able to walk away, get yourself a therapist, a group, an Al-Anon group, whatever that might be. Uh, if you don't know what Al-Anon is, it's a support group for people that's in addiction and recovery. Um, and they will help and guide you to be strong enough because if you continue to enable your family member, and whether that's giving them an extra 20 bucks or setting up another chance or whatever it is, stop. Because that the moment my family stopped and told me no and meant it and stood by it, you know, a whole year they never came, talked to me, never called me, nothing was the moment I grew up. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're 50, 60 years old. I've seen it all ages. It it does not matter because at the time I was 24 and I had seen people that were in their 80s and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy in my 80s. I wanted to get it then and there, you know? So the moment you stop enabling, it's going to be hard. It's going to be, it's going to hurt. They're going to drive you crazy. Surround yourself with that group. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So enabling, you gave a couple of examples, but I think it's hard to know what's enabling and what's not. So like, throwing them money when they need it like almost anything i I think i personally i think complete cut of contact is the best way yeah and unfortunately as hurtful as it is but an addict and alcoholic are the masters of manipulation masters of it you know and i mean that's how they scheme their entire life they have to do it constantly 100 all the time whether it's at a job so they can keep their job get their next fix their relationship to keep, you know, they're constantly having to manip- manipulate and, 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 and just create turmoil really personally. Yeah. So I think all usually I would suggest like, you know, stop that contact. This is my boundary. I'm done with it. You know, and that, and that's it. You know, it's hard. It's easier to say, you know, oh, as I'm saying it now, but the moment my family had, you know, here's, here's the, you know, alternative, they had wasted 
thousands of thousands of dollars probably on me, you know, oh, you know, we want you to get sober, you know, we're going to buy you this or, or, you know, um, here's this opportunity and go work, you know, I'm going to get you a setup with this other job. So maybe you won't do drugs or, or whatever it is. Right. That never works. Yeah. You have this person has the person that wants to be sober has to be in complete desperation to be yeah. sober. Yeah. Um, that is my personal experience. You know, I'm sure people will have all kinds of different opinions oh, absolutely. And, and, and things like that. But I've seen the people that stay sober and not been sober, you know, and the people that really work this thing are the ones that are still sober, you know, yeah. um, and have a really happy life. I still got great friends oh, from wow. there, you know, and their families are happy to have them back as well. Oh, you know? absolutely. They never want to push you away. That's just what it's called. I can't imagine your mom. She loves you so, so much. I can't imagine <laughs> that moment. She was when she, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah I bet. <laughs> she was real mad at me. But, you know, I can't thank God she was able to get the strength, was. you know, yeah. to do that. You know, I needed that in my life. Changed yeah. me for the best. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That makes it that helps a lot for sure. Thank you so much for joining us, Blake. It has been a pleasure. I know that story is hard and it's vulnerable, but I have no doubt that lives will be changed from hearing it. So thank you so, so much. Well, I really appreciate you having me on here. It's been an awesome pleasure. And, you know, I always just look at anytime I have to tell the story of my life, it's just trying to hopefully pay it forward and inspire somebody that maybe need this to hear this message um, or a family member or something like that and brave enough to get the help that they need. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Blake. All right, we will talk to you later, Blake. Have a good one, everybody. If you want to keep up with all these podcasts, please go on to Instagram or Facebook at Townsend T Music. That's where I post everything that is coming up, everybody that has been on the podcast. And it's just a great way to keep up with everything. And we will see you guys next week. If you'd like to hear the rest of this interview, visit patreon.com slash Townsend T Music. And don't forget, you can also watch the interviews on our YouTube channel at Townsend Team Music YouTube. Okay, guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell, I have the perfect company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area, but they're able to serve you no matter where you're located in the state. They've streamlined the process of buying or selling a home to make it so much easier. They have a team of industry experts that make sure you have access from anything you can think of. I'm talking from local home inspectors to painters to gardeners and so much more just to provide you with the best service possible. They're dedicated to providing the most up-to-date market data in the area. And I think the coolest part is if you go on their website, you can use their easy-to-use fast property search. You can even create a custom market report to see what's active, under contract, and sold in your neighborhood. Their team is made up of caring, knowledgeable professionals that work around the clock to help you with the process of buying and selling your home. So again, if you're in the market to buy or sell, Clark & Co. Realty is definitely the company for you. Tell them Townsend sent you. Let's be honest. I think we could all use somebody to talk to every now and then. Healing Path Counseling in Conway, Arkansas is 100% my go-to when it comes to therapy. Wendy Blackwood has more credentials than letters in the alphabet. She's won awards for her outstanding services and has a whole page of board memberships. Basically, she knows what she's doing. She works hard to help equip you with the tools needed to live your best life. She even offers a variety of services, including, but not limited to, cognitive behavioral therapy, 
technology-assisted counseling, relationship counseling, and EMDR. Trust me, I know therapy can be intimidating at first, but let me assure you, Wendy does her best to make you comfortable and find the best solutions and plans for you. Trust me, don't wait to make the call. Give Wendy Blackwood at Healing Path Counseling a call today. Get started on the best version of you.